Gain It For Riffs. All right. Welcome to Gain It For Riffs, the only podcast about riffs. Yes, that's true. I finally admitted it. We're the only podcast on the whole of internet in the whole entire world, world that relies on riffs for our production to become as stellar as it is. Hello, my name is Ole. You're listening to me and my co-host, my dear friend, Jan. How are you? Hey, hey, how are you doing, everyone? I'm doing well, having a good day here. and been playing a lot lately, which is always great, right? It's always a sign of, of good health. Yeah. Playing a lot of guitar, a lot of bass, and uh, uh, brought the bass out for today as well, um, which is the second time, I think. Mm. And, uh, you know, Sweet. It's always like a, a nice, warm and fuzzy feeling, uh, playing a bit of bass. I love the bass. Uh, I wish I had um, a, uh, a bass with a working... Um, What's it called? Head, uh, what's that part that's just up at the uh, tuning knobs uh, just before that the strings rest on? Strangely enough, it's called the nut. Yeah, the nut. Uh, it's uh, the uh, my lightest string, the G string, the nut, the part of the nut there is broken. So if you play an open string, then it sounds like crap. Uh, we can't have that. But fortunately, you rarely do that when you play the bass. Uh, at least that uh, part of the bass is rarely used for me. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to play the bass today, but you are interesting. Yeah. I'm curious. Yeah, also like an, an old used uh, uh, cheap bass, but a nice uh, jazz bass. I like it. And when you buy used instruments, there's always these small issues, I guess, yeah. uh, with the instruments. So you need a good tech. Everyone playing out there, even if like you're just playing your first year, uh, be on the lookout for a good guitar tech. It can really like improve your, your life. And they're not that expensive, mm. you know. It's worth servicing your instruments if you. Can. You talked. You told me about something interesting, uh, something called Plek that I never heard about. It's a, this like total yeah. setup of your guitar where they kind of shave off the the things that on, on the fretboard. Uh, they just fix it up, set it up so that, that it's perfect, uh, perfectly in tune, and like the the best possible instrument from that material that it's built from and. Yeah, I was like, whoa, yeah. what is this? Uh, maybe you know something yeah, more. I knew, I knew about it for a while. Okay. I knew about it for a while, but I've never done it myself because it's a little bit uh, hefty priced. It comes at around 260, 300 euros. Oh, okay. So it's quite expensive. But they do this very elaborate uh, scanning of the guitar in this, uh, I think, German designed uh, Plek machine, uh, P L E K. Yeah. And then with the, data, with the data they recover, they know exactly what to do with. Um, like um, removing parts of the frets and uh, adjusting nut, uh, adjusting intonation, and also the the drag stong, mm. you know, yeah. the the thing that goes through your neck. What could that be in English? I forgot. Truss rod. The truss rod. Yeah. <laughs> truss rod and nut. Come on. <laughs> it's innuendo in, in guitar. Work. Like <laughs> endless innuendo. Truss rod innuendos. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. Anyway, good service makes for better instrument, and it can really help you to like get the, the, the tones mm. out there because it, it's a tempered instrument, right? It's very hard to get a guitar perfectly set up. It's always a bit skewed. Yeah, and uh, I was <laughs> I was googling for Amsterdam Plek, and uh, I realized that this is going to be really hard to find because Plek means place in the, in the Dutch. Um, but I found it. Uh, there is a place that does it, and. Uh, uh, as you said, it's extremely expensive, so I'm probably not going to do it <laughs> with my borrowed guitar. Yeah, one, day, one day you should, one day you should, but I mean, obviously, maybe there are other uh, expenses a little bit higher yeah, in your priorities. I mean, for right that now. money, you could get a really nice low-end Ibanez guitar, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you want that. <laughs> 
but you don't want that. You want to fix your guitar and uh, make it. No, a... and, and, and but I was I actually went into a, a guitar store yesterday, a guitar shop yesterday for the first time since the pandemic, and um, I tried some guitars and I noticed all these kind of off brands uh, like Gibson uh, <laughs> instead of Gibson. Never no. saw that one before. Yeah. Uh, something called uh, Rochdale. I don't know. That was uh, all this, but there was a Washburn guitar, and it had uh, uh, electronics. It was a electroacoustic guitar, cool. and it has some, had some inner electronics. And I asked, uh, and I played a little bit. Ah, oh, it's nice. I like the neck. I like the fretboard. Uh, reminds me very much of my own Tanglewood guitar. So I was like, oh, okay, three hundred euros. Oh, yeah, it might be something. And uh, but the thing that looked a bit bit busted up was the electronics. Like there was no battery, and the guy came over. Yeah, you can fix it. You put the battery there, and you put some tape over. And I was like, ah, well. <laughs> and then he immediately immediately started like, yeah, yeah, I can hold it for you if you want. Uh, if you want to think about it, I, was, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but I, he almost swindled me because I went uh, I went home and I looked it up and I was like. Yeah, the, a new one with perfectly working electronics was like the same price, virtually the same price. So it was a crap store, and the only thing that looked good was a really kind of cheap guitar. So yeah, I'm not going back there anytime soon. <laughs> that Dutch clerks are funny. They so they're so confident. They really are like swindlers, and they mm. like they have no uh, no fear almost. Like I think it uh, might be of the the tradition of the like East India Company and everything. They really like uh, <laughs> the colonial, colonial sales force, <laughs> colonialists. Yeah, and the sales force. You know, they imported goods, sold goods, and mm. then they have these good growing grounds for for uh, veggies and stuff. Yeah, there is a it's a, in in history the the Dutch has really been behind the scenes uh, uh, in the in the enmity between uh, Sweden and Denmark, uh, uh, two countries that had 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 over 400 skirmishes and wars between them uh, since yeah the, since a long time since 500 years and uh, al- always between the behind the scenes behind the curtain has been the dutch sales uh, the, the dutch merchants and the dutch government that has uh, the dutch government have been um, uh, supporting Sweden and the merchants have been supporting Denmark. So, you know, they're playing both sides so they can yeah. very easily uh, sail through unassaulted, unmolested to Hamburg or uh, Danzig or any, anywhere in the Baltic Sea to trade. So they really like were behind the scenes instigating all these skirmishes. Uh, yeah, we could learn a lot. I mean, uh, for, for you listeners that are not familiar with the, maybe the map of Northern Europe, there's like a a small inlet into the Baltic Sea uh, where the ships had to go to reach Stockholm, yeah. uh, where I'm at now. And you have to pass like a small inlet and that's where the Danes were ruling. So the Danes had this heavy toll system for a while that really like annoyed the Dutch and the, and the Swedish mm. because we had trade. And, the, and then they just upped and upped the, the toll, like the, the tax for passing. And uh, it became like a, a, an actual issue to the point where Sweden and... Uh, and then the Netherlands uh, ganged up together on Denmark and just destroyed that. Yeah, you know, came in from both sides. Yeah, so I mean, don't be too greedy. Yeah, if you have, a, if you're in a good position, don't overuse it. And Denmark had had one of these mad kings at the time, and he had like really expensive habits. So I think he would raise the toll just to get even more cash. <laughs> I like that style. You know, like uh, we need money for. Yeah, a war. Uh, but then let's raise the tax on the farmers with five hundred percent. They'll manage. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, gain it for history lesson. Gain it for history. Gain it for history. 
I think I'm gonna head back in history a little bit mm. as well, like mm. uh, way before Plek machines, at least not <laughs> super long ago, but quite a while ago, way before Plek machines. And this guy, he probably didn't need too much of a Plek to make his bass sound stellar. He's one of the best bass players ever, and in no mm. way am I close to him on, on a playing level. But a good riff is coming your All way. Right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, uh, go something like this. <laughs> Come old flats up, he come grooving up slowly. He got juju eyeballs, he got holy roller, he got hair down to his knees. Got to be good looking, cause it's so hard to see. Come together right now over me. <laughs> yeah, nice. You know, uh, let's present it. It's uh, come together. Yeah, bye. The Beatles. The perhaps best band yeah. ever, and maybe the first band ever. The first band ever, yeah, it's true. You can say that. Kind of. Kind, kind of. of. Uh, it's arguable. I mean, there were, were these kind of bands before with an artist and then his guys. Yes, you know, no, like, you're right. It's the first band. Hmm. Interesting. First band and kind of band with a brand, maybe you could say. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this is from their last record, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it is from uh, Abbey Road. It's an op opening track come together uh, and we have the bass riff of the um, incomparable Paul McCartney uh, yeah fantastic incomparable. Uh, and you know Beatles is a fun band like uh, you could do this kind of what's your favorite member thing forever with the Beatles and uh, for a long time I had uh, George Harrison because of his uh, great songs and overall cool and kind of clandestine character of him right and then uh, of course this song is by John Lennon which I guess is the most popular Beatle. Would you, would you say? Uh, you Pete the Best. Uh, the best of the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> and John Lennon, you know, he's kind of obvious. And then uh, Paul McCartney is, I guess, my favorite overall because I just like his uh, his ways. Mm. I don't know why. I mean, he's, he didn't write this song. Uh, it's his bass riff. Mm. Uh, maybe even John played it. I don't know, actually. But I think it's him playing. It should be. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's... Um wasn't it a bit interesting uh, during this period because there was so much... Uh, yeah, they weren't really keeping it together uh, <laughs> as well as this song might imply. Uh, and like sometimes uh, a member would, you know, storm out and someone would just, you know, overdub their part or, you know, they really like taking cheap shots. I know that, um, for instance, like the, the John Lennon tracks uh, often have uh, subpar production because uh, Paul McCartney wouldn't allow his songs to sound better than his. And then you have... Uh, really? Yeah, and, and then Paul McCartney does uh, a whole B-side with his own uh, fantastic, of course, stuff, but it's like overproduced. It's like so produced uh, that you get really this contrast between uh, the songwriting. Uh, come Together is really raw. Yeah. I mean, if we're getting on this album, as you said, it's almost like uh, solo albums put mm. together. Like uh, there are two Ringo song songs on there, and then uh, like uh, 
George Harrison really comes to form, right? He's just he's just the king on this album because he wrote something, uh, their most streamed song on Spotify, something great song, and here comes the sun, obviously, and that's another Rock Police moment. Uh, you know, <laughs> the first time we saw Ghost, they didn't play ABBA, they didn't play Rocky Erickson, they played Here Comes the Sun. Oh yeah, that's true. Wow. Yeah, that was the cover back then. Great choice too. Great for his voice actually for Tobias. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we got Abbey Road uh, 69 is mm -hmm. it? Am yep. I right? It's is the last one they recorded but not the last one uh, the, the the Let It Be was released afterwards. Uh yeah. Yeah, for some reason. I mean they had Phil Spector doing the production on that one. Uh, yeah, it's a you know a, a, as you might know the uh it's a bit very overly produced that album and uh, yeah, he added the orchestral arrangements after mm, like after mm. the fact which is a bit, maybe not, not the greatest thing to do. Maybe you should have them in mind while producing the basics. Yeah. So that's why they released a stripped-down version. Uh, right? uh, Let a bit naked, which is a bit... I mean, it, it, it's a bit too uh, too much of a change. You know, It's a bit hard to to take that. Uh, My least listened to Beatles record, for sure, is Let It Be, uh, for some reason. I love the title track. I mean, who doesn't? It's, uh, like a, it's oh, yeah, a classic, yeah. but... Uh, yeah, Abbey Road, it's a bit like solo records put together. And this happens quite often in bands I listen to, that uh, an album surfaces to my attention, and then I realize, like, this is a much more disjointed band. They're no longer, like, the guys that live together in a house and play every day, like, <laughs> six sets a day in strip clubs in Hamburg, oh, right? Oh. Like, at, at this point, they've really started to kind of prepare for their own solo acts, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Uh... I now I'm a bit unsure if I'm uh, totally correct, but you remember we talked about Jim Gordon, uh, this drummer who uh, was on Layla by Derek and the Dominoes a couple of shows back. He who uh, got yep. he had uh, he was yeah he's a, he's a schizophrenic who murdered his mother and ended up in jail. And there is some uh, there's some rumors that he played uh, on Beatles songs uh, that were later attributed to uh, Ringo Starr. Uh, I think right. I might might be wrong here, but I, I've heard it from some uh, yeah fairly credible source. Uh, not that we ever <laughs> fact check anything on this show, just to get it be transparent. But it's yeah, um, or we, like we base it all on rumors. And I, I I was in a small party yesterday with some mutual friends of ours, and uh, they said like yeah, I think I've counted up twelve times when you've done factual mistakes. <laughs> 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 so I mean, we're due for a, for a proper scolding by rock police. I'm just looking for an actor to reenact him. Then we will have uh, rock police coming in and giving us the lowdown. Stop, rock police. Your riff license and registration, please. Sir, have you been riffing? Gave it for riffs. Okay, back to back to the riff, back to come together. Come together. Uh, uh, actually, uh, I played it live last summer uh, in Hamra on Hamra Krug, really, uh, with uh, awesome. our uh, <laughs> local band. I played the song, and uh, it was a great success. Uh, I think uh, it was really, really nice to um, rehearse it with this uh, singer Fia Lu friend of mine who uh, also chimed in on the choruses otherwise i was uh, handling the i was playing it on guitar and um, yeah. and singing and it, it's a really hard song to learn because the, the lyrics are nonsense and they kind of um, 
they, they do very small uh, uh, shifts in the in the prose or in the yeah in the lyrics. So like, when is the part about the hair going down to the knees, or is it down to his waist, or down to his feet? You know, like ah, oh, when does that come? Uh, but I think it's very important to get it uh, correct. And I yeah, I think it, I did a a good job. It was really fun uh, to play it. Cool. The first time I heard Abbey Road, you know what? Could you guess maybe what was standing out to me with this record? Uh, the cover? My overall impression of it. Yeah, obviously the cover is um, legendary, but um, let's say music-wise. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, do you think about the song or the whole like production? or? Yeah, actually it was the production that stood out to me and still stands out to me because it sounds so modern. Okay. It mm. sounds so like poppish and... You know, it's not only getting good sounds, it's really designed. Yeah. It sounds great, I think. And I remember because I was so into metal at this time, you know, it was right in the in the midst of Entombed mm -hmm. and all that that we discussed last week. And in comes this super thin guitar uh, in Come Together, but it's doubled so nicely by this, uh, my riff of choice today, the bass. remember having an epiphany like shit you don't need big distortion to sound really heavy no. because it sounds heavy so for me it was like a production victory you could say or like a epiphany all of this record and then we've discussed countless times before paul mccartney's ending suit you know <laughs> sweet and he's going full grindcore with one minute songs <laughs> and they just go into each yeah. other and they're so good and i love that he didn't repeat much mm. in them you know I like them more than Come Together, and I love Come Together, but, you know, Golden Slumbers yeah, may be the best song yeah, ever. It's more like uh, listening to James Riff tapes. <laughs> yeah, kind of, but also completely produced yeah. and arranged. I, I think it's brilliant. It's, I think it's genius level on, the, on that ending thing. And, mm -hmm. I mean, Paul is my dude in the Beatles. Who's your dude? Uh, I think... Uh, John Lennon, uh, but I also have a soft spot for George Harrison. But I think he did better after the Beatles, and I mean that when he really broke loose. Uh, but then, I mean, you always have a smile on your face when you see Ringo. You know, he just had a good time all the time. He had no problems with anyone. <laughs> it's just like he turned eighty last week, man. He's eighty mm. years old now, and I saw a video of him drumming it like this kind of pandemic thing when you you know when you do a distance recording and there was a lot of uh, famous people playing the weight by uh, the band is it right uh yes uh but wait i have to interject i thought that okay you said that yeah he's playing this pandemic and i thought for one second that he has started like a band called pandemic that played death metal <laughs> no way no way no 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 <laughs> he's he sits at the drum set with his tight black t-shirt mm. on and dude looks like maximum 50 yeah. Yeah, sunglasses on and he looks so rich in a healthy way he looks like that kind of person that when he got money he could live healthy somehow and he's he's got this like, his shape of his body is like a, a 25 year old sitting there behind the drum kit and he's like picking up his phone and he's like what key is it in <laughs> f demented all right <laughs> <laughs> and then he starts playing beautifully okay like, with such a feeling and groove and i mean a song like the weight it's easy to slaughter on the drums because there's no show off like there's no there's no like uh, watch me do no. this it's all about uh, having being the metronome and they used to famously say that ringo is our metronome we're not using metronomes or click tracks it's mm. ringo and uh, underrated drummer for sure uh, yeah yeah uh, but brings a smile to your face yeah but i mean he, and he has a I, <laughs> one of my favorite songs from the beatles on this album octopus's garden because it's so silly and light 
it's just a fantastic uh, tune. Yeah, it just... I remember Phil Anselmo, Phil Anselmo talking about that. No, really. Like, yeah, I'm a huge Bills fan, but that song, what the fuck? Octopus's Garden, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't. I think it's very cute. Yeah. And it's also, it's not a metaphor. It's not a metaphor at all. It's about octopuses and their supposed gardens. Yeah. No, but they, they have stuff going on down there for sure. I mean, maybe it was more mysterious in the 60s. Um, but I think, I don't know. Yeah. He, he could travel, uh, he could dive underwater without actually diving underwater. I think that was fairly an easy task. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So this riff is also a bit nautical, isn't it? Sounds like, you know, calm waters or something like that. It starts on the D, uh, fifth fret, uh, third string on the bass. And then you slide up to A, which often Paul does. He likes to slide up to the 12th fret. It's one of his sticks. And then you hit um, the high A on um, the G string, the 10th fret on the G string. So it's quite a wide riff. And then land on D on the D string, 12th fret. I don't even think the guitar plays. No, that. no, it, it, it doesn't. The bass is so prominent. The guitar is like on a power chord yeah, or something. Yeah, it's uh, very simplified. Exactly. Uh, let's see. And then, uh, you know, the masters of hooks, listen to the hook. Yeah. You know, how could you not follow <laughs> that? It's so, um, it's a good uh, pedagogy right there. Like, it's easy to follow the song. It's super catchy, great opening song. Laid back, but heavy, right? And uh, we could talk about Beatles' heavier side, which is maybe not so 60s even, like a kind of uh, precursor to, um, to um, hard rock. Maybe not heavy metal, but uh, definitely mm. hard and heavy rock, like Helter Skelter and uh, She's So Heavy. Yeah. Another example. Yeah, exactly. And they really kind of get into this uh, maybe darker Beatles, or at least heavier. There's right? a minor uh, picking pattern there, right? Mm, yeah. yeah, I think these are minor songs, yeah. uh, all that I listed. Maybe Helter Skelter has a major passage. I don't know. They do a lot of uh, modal shifts as well. Beatles is crazy music to learn because it doesn't follow any rules, mm. but it sounds so right. Yeah. It never sounds, of, it never sounds you know, Mr. Bungle or <laughs> Phantomas or something crazy like that. It sounds very right and very pop, but at the same time, it's completely wild. It's absolutely rogue, the way, the way they write mm. songs. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, especially in their later albums, uh, and uh, arguably, I mean, after afterwards, except for George Harrison, I don't know. Everyone kind of mellowed down and uh, took a simpler route because here they kind of peaked altogether, you know, with their uh, creativity that is just off the off the charts, or how do you say? It? It's uh, it's yeah. crazy. And I think uh, because uh, George Harrison had been uh, limited, right? I'm quite sure he had like an official limit of one or two songs per album. And so I think that's why his solo career was the best mm. one, arguably. Because he had a lot of material left. And you can see him stepping up on this album uh, with these absolute killer songs. And um, something, uh, Here Comes the Sun, uh, maybe uh, one or two more even. Like I think it's four songs on this album, something like that. Because there was less uh, limitations put upon him. At this stage yeah i mean they were all, all worried about you know who would take more space like i said uh, george uh, um, paul mccartney easily uh you know could sidestep uh, john lennon and you know destroy his takes and uh and just make sure that he, his songs sounded worse and uh 
yeah, it's a bit petty stuff like this that for sure was the reason that they disbanded. And um, yeah, yeah. But also, I mean, the, the, there was the reason that it worked in the first mm. place too. Like you could have that description. I lifted it off of Mando Diao actually. The description of two uh, rocks being Paul and John, and they kind of hit each other. It's the, like that you hit them, and there's sparks flying. Exactly. And it's it's really like that. And I guess my favorite Beatles song is um, "A Day in a Life." And there you have the, um, the the hit happening in you know in real mm. time. You could say like when they switch over from from John's beautiful part into Paul's uh, you know little depiction of a morning <laughs> there, which is very light-hearted and fun. Woke up, went out of bed, drove across, across my head, head. yeah, mm. way upstairs and had a smoke. Somebody spoke and I went into a dream. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, I, I must say that on Abbey Road, I really enjoy Maxwell Silver Hammer, <laughs> Paul McCartney's murder <laughs> mystery. I don't, I, don't, I don't like that. Song. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> no, for me, it's a hard. That's a tough. No, you could really me. make like a. Uh, uh, let's see. Let's see. Maxwell Silver Hammer came down upon her. Yeah, it's a perfect, uh, perfectly good uh, metal song. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to make clear also how long did they play together? They have five years of releasing albums, and prior to that, they were a live band, obviously uh, together for ten years or something like that. Yeah, so it's very short still for leaving that legacy, mm. uh, kind of you know forever. I guess I, I don't see them disappearing anytime soon. And uh, Paul is uh, quite an active old man, right? He's making his last album was I listened to it quite a lot actually, mm-hmm. uh, Egypt Station. And uh, I mean, obviously it's not Abbey Road, but it's still very good. And uh, I just like his. He's kind of relaxed, I think, when he's when he's making music. It never feels forced, mm. at least not to me. Even when it's these circus whimsicals, it still sounds relaxed. And he listened to a lot of that silly music when he was a kid. Yeah, I mean, he he for sure mellowed out. I remember it's like when uh, I don't remember it, but I remember seeing it afterwards uh, when John Lennon was shot, and they the journalists came and confronted uh, Paul McCartney. He they told him basically he heard from them that his friend and uh, you know uh, was murdered, had been murdered, and uh, he was just so numb from uh, yeah, cocaine I think cocaine abuse that he couldn't he didn't know how to react and he didn't care and he just gave off this impression that he didn't care and that kind of followed him for a while also that he didn't yeah. care about his friend uh, being murdered and it seems uh, such a terrible thing but uh, yeah it's uh, but there, the fri- friction was real uh, between them I mean, I think for the rest of the for the rest of John Lennon's life, you know, they didn't meet up that often. But John once wrote in a lyric that all you had was yesterday. <laughs> that's mean. That's quite a yeah. That's quite mean, and it's very completely untrue as well. <laughs> He's got a lot more under his belt, so to speak. No, but I, I and, uh, yeah, I was listening to another podcast today, and they were actually talking about John Lennon and how he was uh, quite mean. Uh, uh, personally, uh, he uh, he also was uh, was really not that ca- keen on giving credit where credit it's, is due. And like Joko Ono, for instance, wrote uh, parts of his songs and songs for him, and uh, it took him like years to uh, 
admit that those parts were written by uh, Yoko Ono. I and mean, even like <laughs> you know they're together. It's such a, like a petty thing um, to do. And he was uh, often you know, mean to fans coming up and you say, "Oh, hey, John, I just wanted to say this is the best moment of my life." Yeah, and say. Like, for you, I'm sure it is <laughs> something like this. It's like, a terrible <laughs> person, but I think yeah, he has true. good it's sides true. also. You know, he's like morally, maybe he's uh, no, not even morally. I mean, he used to hit his wife, his first wife, and yeah. he thinks about it. Yeah, yeah. He used to be cruel to my woman. Yeah. I beat her and kept her apart from the things that she loved. Mm. That's dark. Yeah. yeah. But now it's getting better all the time. Yeah, getting so much better. I can imagine. You know, he was <laughs> he was a father when they were in Hamburg. Uh, even I think uh, he had uh, Julian was had been born before that, or uh, at least when they were like uh, uh, teenage idols in the U.S. When they went over there, you know, he had kind of to, he kind of had to hide the fact that he was married with a kid, uh, and, and like hide that he was. Uh, also older, you know, than he uh, he appeared, you know, with his uh, haircuts and like to look younger and be more accessible. Uh, so it's kind of a hard like double life that uh, he had to lead. Yeah, I've heard about him being quite a violent guy mm. and you know just not good in in relationships. Mm. And uh, I guess it could make sense. And uh, Lemmy always said that the Beatles were the real bad boys. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine them playing on this uh, in the red light district of Hamburg and, uh, you know, for years. Yeah. <laughs> Just fighting for every years. night for 10 years like, or whatever. Uh, four or five gigs, four or five sets uh, a day. Yeah. So that's why they play so well. Um, it's like, a, that's a proper school of rock right mm. there. Primary school of rock. Did you say that? Or did I hear that? A pro proper school yeah, of rock. Yeah, the primary, primary school, school not of rock. Not so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but the cannabis. Oh, yeah, that's... Uh, that's the riff pretty much and uh, you have the D and the slide and then just the, the turnaround. There are a couple of other chords in there but they're not interesting to present as riffs and then you have the turnaround from B down to A and then uh, G back up to A. Simple. And that's come together. Yeah, but I, I like that one. Uh, the, let's see. Come together right now over me it's uh nice yeah. very well yeah. written i have to say sure. the, yeah i spent last uh, week uh, talking about entombed for an hour so i wanted to be a little bit more efficient today and there's so much to say about the beatles but i think i just wanted to land a little bit on on this nice bass riff and kind of acknowledge the beatles <laughs> well yeah my first my first record was uh, sardine pepper it was my first record my uncle gave it to me on cd when i was eight or nine mm. So that's a very dear album to me. And I've always kept listening to it. Yeah, I mean, and they have more riffs for sure. We will return to them. Um, although I would like to talk a bit about... Because they were so... Um, uh, I mean, this, they kind of started the... And were part of the wave. If, the, if not started, they were part of the wave of... Uh, like this teeny bopper... I don't know, pop pop music, like the first pop music, sort of. Uh, yeah, the first youth culture. Youth culture, really. yeah. And then when teenagers... Yeah, th that's interesting because teenaging, uh, teenagers, uh, they, they weren't a thing before this time. I mean, th that wasn't um, a word. I mean, you were a kid and then you were grown up and you were supposed to work, you know. And then at some yep. point during the 50s, 60s, there was like, yeah, there is actually space here where uh, there is another mode of... Um, expression 
and that was you know being a teenager and what does teenager want they are they want you know they want things and you know the there are things that yeah. that really uh re uh uh re- reverberate resound no the um uh, that really works for them and beatles were one such thing i mean they, they uh when you're a teenager everything is so important everything is like the first time and you know a heartbreak is like the end of the world and you have like beatles making songs uh that that are that is about that i mean making people crazy yeah. girls fainting screaming so loud that they can't play live i mean that was the reason they stopped playing live because no one could hear anything with uh mediocre uh amplification um, exactly. and it's mean, such they a, would have sounded maybe probably even worse probably even worse than the sword did when they opened for Metallica <laughs> probably <laughs> probably and, uh, and uh, yeah I mean this is post-war right it's mm. been two big wars all over Europe that they are over and uh, I guess the West kind of won mm. or you know it's debatable mm. but uh, this means a little bit of surplus and a little bit of uh, kind of peace spirit you know beginning of the hippie movement and that's really where youth culture suddenly had a place mm. of course to the demise of some of the oldest right well i mean some yeah. people were probably very enraged by the whole thing yeah uh i mean for sure the, the 50s had uh, you know you had elvis presley and link ray who we talked about before you know kind of bridging that like creating this kind of youth culture and then uh, uh beatles coming in and perfecting it and sort of also ending it by just like the sheer force of their like decision not to play live not to tour just make albums that are very introspective and very you know novel squad on them <laughs> i would say they're very yeah, I mean, you know selfish albums in a way uh, in a nice way also because otherwise if they were yeah. if uh, what, what do you think uh, what do you think if they would have continued touring what would have happened with the beatles would they have made these records no, I think they would have been more rock and roll. Mm. And uh, I think John Lennon tried to make them more rock and roll a few times in the career, like wanted to go back to that kind of basic, you know, Chuck Berry and whatnot. And I think they ma- may have stayed more in that style, but since they got the, the opportunity to really start uh, working in the studios for real, like we talked about that in Link Ray, that in the early days uh, you had the studio engineers in lab coats and they would come in at 8 and leave at 4.30 or oh, five, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. Mm. Studio is closed. And Beatles was the first band that kind of managed to sneak in at night and uh, work during the nights and get very experimental. Of course, they did a lot of acid and smoked a lot of pot as well. And uh, famously, George Martin, their producer, he was like, "Yeah, boys will be boys, but not in the studio, guys." <laughs> they were always, you know, <laughs> out by the by the by the by the trash cans, mm. smoking their doobies, mm. and then back in to, to put on put down these groovy bass lines. Yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, they really—it's the first band, right? It's the first band, and youth culture is starting. Something is happening in Europe, and arguably, we're at the end of that now. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, not that there's no youth culture now, but now it's all exploded. It's everywhere. It's just likes and uh, influencers uh, and stuff. It's, it's chaos now. Back then, it was more structured, a little clearer hierarchy, maybe. Yeah, I think for sure the changes. Like uh, also, it has it influences this uh, very podcast. The, the the fact that we can play sit at home or in our studio in front of our computers and play music uh, over the internet to each other and like talk about it. I mean that that is you know a democratization of music. Before you had to be, you really have to give give your life to music. Now everyone can be a musician. Everyone can make great music, and a lot of people are doing it. So it's not as clear cut like who is an artist and who is just uh, you know 
and uh, and they were but they were for sure like the first record uh, so oh, exactly and i said i said to i talked to my drummer about this the other day and i said uh, there almost aren't even bands anymore Kind of the band era is sort of over, especially now because you can't be on stage even. But it's sort of over. It's more <laughs> now about um, the persons again. You know, it's kind of went back to that. Yeah. So it's uh, almost full circle back to back to the fifties again. That now you have the artists and the the, pers- uh, the, the one person mm. kind of represents writing the song or mm. expressing the song, and then with uh, hired guns maybe as band if mm. they play live, and maybe they put it all down on on the, on the on the track. So it's a different age. It is. I mean, the, what, what would be the equivalent of the Beatles today? You know, would you think of any band that are like on the same, not not like that they write the same great, uh, like equally great songs, but that they have like, uh, you know, the say that they give off the same impression of of being like this band putting out albums that they make really uh, put a lot of effort into them and. Uh, um, sonically you know experimenting i honestly think there are none mm. in my opinion the last album that reminded me of uh, like uh, a beatles album not at all musically but uh, thematically and uh, in terms of how ambitious it was it was a uh, lateralus by tool uh, from mm. 2000 or 2001 it's kind of the last in my mind classic rock album since then it's it's just a different perspective no one really tries to go for a classic rock album in that sense anymore like you know uh, Let's say no one tries to change uh, the rules uh, when they make a rock album. I mean, uh, Nicky Andersson, we addressed many times, he makes great rock albums, but they are not pushing any boundaries. No, yeah, and I, I, was, I was thinking about when you said, you know, like Beatles, yeah, it wasn't classic rock back then. It was really like the freshest music available. As, I mean, in... No, I meant actually classic rock in like a classic rock album. Ah, uh, ah, not the genre. Okay, okay. I meant like, you yeah. know, a, 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 like a, a gem of an album, like uh, the Holy mm. Grail or so, so to speak, you know. Uh, but of course, I need to clarify that. Yeah, But I think that, I mean, they had the, had the good rivalry also with... Um, Oh, the pet shop boys, I almost said, but the, the Beach Boys, <laughs> fighting over who could make the best record. Uh, yeah, many say that Sgt. Pepper is because of uh, pet sounds. Mm, exactly. Kind of inspired by that. Yeah. And uh, I never liked the Beach Boys. Do you like uh, them? Yeah, I uh, like them a lot. I think they're great. Uh, the, there's so much going on. My father often asks for, if we have dinner or something. Yeah, let's put on... Um, uh, uh, Beach mm. Boys, and I was like, ah, really, Beach Boys? <laughs> we could go for something else. Oh, but maybe we have to. <laughs> maybe I should start. We should deep dive that. a little bit, but I, I have to, I'm worried that there aren't many like standout riffs. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll dive into their discography and see what I can cook up. Um, yeah, but hey, thanks for bringing uh, the Beatles to the forefront. Uh, they sure. surely need it, sure. and I think Beach Boys. Beach Boys could be a way to uh, stretch uh, also the boundaries of what a riff is, right? Uh, which you may or may not do now with your riff of, of the week. Uh, it's uh, This is very clearly a riff. <laughs> or number of riffs. Okay. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. Get ready, dear listener. Get ready, riffage. motherfucker. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Thank you. 
right. Ooh, cool, cool. First, I thought like the f my my first reaction was this is such, such a nice roll to it. Dun, 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 dun. <coughs> then I start thinking about thrash mm. metal. Is it a thrash metal mm -hmm. classic? It is Anthrax or mm. something? I keep thinking, and then I realize, surprise, you're dead. Yes. Nice one. Right? Nice catch. Must be. Must be. Yeah. Surprise, you're dead. It took some time to figure out. By. Um, not by Mr. Bungle, but by Faith. No exactly. More. And for your uh, for your good guess, I'm gonna play a little bit more from this song. So before we get into it, just teach me that because it's, I want to yes. play it. Yes. Okay. So um, you're on. Uh, you're, it's a, the pedal note is of course uh, E, and we're in E standard. Uh, so the pedal note, as you might remember, dear listener, is um, yeah the 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 bottom note that kind of drones in the background, especially in this one. But you, it's a chugging riff, so you're uh, palm muting it. And uh, then you're on uh, B uh, to start with. That's the first. You start on a B. So it's, uh, let's see. So. So it's uh, a B and then pedal. B flat. B, C, and B flat. wanted to play it because it has such a nice yeah to it. so i'm gonna let you go ahead and uh, maybe present yeah. the band the riff. um then uh, the next riff is really i uh, really like it also Yeah. Uh, so cool. uh, I never uh, actually. I learned. <laughs> I went in to uh, teach myself this riff today because um, I found it yesterday. I was thinking about playing a totally different riff, but then I was like, "Hey, wait! Isn't it time for um, Faith No More? This could be interesting." And then I went to the real thing. I was like, "Ah, this album, the first one with Mike Patton on uh, vocals, and like, wasn't there this song in the middle that's really..." unusually thrashy and heavy yeah yes uh surprise you're dead uh with this maniacal maniacal lyrics uh exclamation mark right yeah surprise exclamation mark you're dead two exclamation marks <laughs> so it's like yeah <laughs> awesome what year was this released um, uh 89 yeah, eighty nine. Yeah, so it, that makes sense, really, right? Eighty nine, because they had the, like they they kind of had the the peak of thrash metal happening during those years, eighty six to eighty. And it's interesting because uh, on guitar is Big Jim Martin, uh, this uh, character. I would uh, <laughs> arguably he's a character. He has uh, long black hair, and then he has this uh, very outgrown, very 
dirty looking uh, mutton chops. Uh, sometimes he uh, yeah, they, always he has these red rimmed uh, uh, sunglasses, and sometimes he has two glasses on at the same time, two uh, double sunglasses, and uh, yeah, he just like looks like a, a thrash metal uh, stereotype almost, and he was. Um, Super good friends. Uh, together with Mike Borden, the drummer of Fate No More, he, they were old classmates uh, or schoolmates with uh, Cliff Burton. So they were good friends. And um, yeah, Jim Martin's also a good friend of James Hetfield and Metallica. So they, they played together um, in different uh, constellations in um, Spastic Children, which was this uh, jam band that sometimes met up in the 80s uh, with uh, Metallica and Jim Martin and some other people. Yeah, I recognize Spastic Children and now I remember also I, James Hetfield was always with this uh, Faith No More tank top. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but they're, uh, I mean, they're, they're quite uh, good. If you look at, uh, the, there's some nice pictures of James Hetfield and uh, Jim Martin. They look like friends. You know, they kind of always look cool. friendly. And um, Jim Martin, I think, jumped. Uh, he came in and um, played guitar when uh, James Hetfield burned uh, burned his arm. I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was yeah, the yeah, replacement guitarist. And and I think what you what you sense in this song, in this riff, what what, what I want to bring out is that it's such a like a standout uh, riff. It's like this really thrash song. Uh, that is very unusual for Fate No More. Uh, that is more heavily reliant on keys, uh, keyboards. Uh, very like you know, especially on this album, the keyboards and uh, the bass lines, the the groovy bass li- yeah. lines of um, Billy Gould uh, that I also like a lot. But in this song, you know that he finally got some space to do his tr- thrash, and I think. Uh, he also the, the the thing I think there was some resentment from Big Jim Martin that he didn't get to uh, get, get, he, that Fate More didn't go the direction that he wanted. He wanted to play. He wanted kind of to be another Metallica. You know, he wanted to play thrash metal. I see. I see. Um, and it has. Uh, we had like a quick dropout on Skype, so I had some time to jam, and I realized even though it's very thrashy, there's another element to it. Like, uh, it you know what I mean? It has this kind of a circus vibe again, like merry-go-round and a little bit clownish. Yeah, for sure, there is some uh, there is some playfulness, and I think it would have been interesting to see um, uh, if. You know, uh, Fate No More had gone that direction, um, I mean, and they kind of do. Yeah. I mean, their music is very playful, especially on the follow-up to the real thing, uh, Angel Dust, with which became uh, Jim Martin's last record. He and he, he left there. He was very heavily disappointed in uh, the direction they went, and he even went out into the press and called uh, called the music gay disco. <laughs> which is you know that seems like someone who yeah you know really? didn't like it really could he come up with something better i don't know I th- i'm thinking now about two words that have become semi-staples in in gain it for riffs one is carnivalesque mm. it has that and a lot of it you know like killer clown sound right surprise you're dead <laughs> like, you know uh, this kind of morbid clown feeling and also another thing that we used to talk about all the time troll riff 
it's definitely uh, a yeah the coming there yeah side by side shoulder to shoulder to to kind of kill you uh yeah i mean i mean this for sure the chromatic uh notion of the the tones being just semitones apart from each other and uh and which in Metallica's case becomes very evil, and here there is some evilness, but there's also this kind of evil with a twist. I mean, the the, yeah. uh, the lyrics are also extremely uh, they're quite uh, bizarre and uh, uh, ev- evil in their own way. But because Mike Patton is so often, you know, this uh, ironic guy that you he seems to never take anything serious. He's very like. Uh, um, postmodern in a way, uh, his way of writing that is more about the words uh, and how they, he pronounces the words than his actually his actual intent with the lyrics. So, like he might sing the yeah. uh, the pain, the torment, and torture, profanity, and also he has suffering, perversion, calamity. You can't get away. Surprise! Yo, dead. Open your eyes. I mean. It's just uh, <laughs> it's kind of very close to Mr. Bungle, his uh, other band, the, this um, yeah. extremely carnivalesque uh, yeah. uh, band that play heavily on this like evil clown theme. Uh, they even have an evil clown exactly. on the on the cover of the first album, and uh, and he kind of always went for that uh, that sort of. Uh, yeah, I think he has, has one serious side, but that's just when he's shitting on mm. others. Like he has this quite accurate uh, diss of a wolf mother that was semi viral uh, for a while. Like yes. He's being interviewed in a festival, he's standing there with his back slick, and Wolf Mother are playing in the background, uh, playing this, the big hit, I think, uh, which I, now the name escapes me. But no, but uh, uh, exactly. And, uh, I have it here. <laughs> I was going to play perfect. it. <laughs> Me and Rosell are gonna do a record. I mean, there's you know, there's always stuff to do. You don't need to look very far. And these are all things that really I've been wanting to do for five years. So, in a strange way, are you hearing this? <laughs> what year are we in? Forgive me, but Wolf Mother, you suck. <laughs> okay. I love that. Actually, uh, this was my whole. Uh, this was how I got into uh, choosing the uh, going to Fate No More. Uh, I was actually gonna uh, make um, make a number about this song. Uh, which is uh, Joker and the Thief by Wolfmother. Uh, mm, so I learned yeah, to play that. Oh, I'm glad you. I'm glad you didn't, man. I hate that. I hate that band. I hate that song. <laughs> I'm on Team Pat yeah. here. You know, we talked about last week. We talked about the sword, and the sword are kind of like a. This is this thing. Is this uh, stupid uh, old school rock? But they did something with it. Wolfmother is so empty. There's no content to me at yeah. least in there. I really agree with Mike. Like uh, I was, I was Wolf looking Mother, up. Suck. Forgive me. I like that he says, "Forgive me, forgive me." But Wolfmother, you suck. 
but he is you know in a way he's uh, elitist he is like this uh, you know like a bit like uh, the Beatles idea of always pushing boundaries and I mean he Mike Patton for sure pushed boundaries but I think he also found uh, find himself stuck in his tropes now and then especially you know later years um, but uh, Wolf Mother they just they very um uh, clearly went for this retro vibe although i i kind of like this uh uh this idea of this riff the you know it's not uh, it's it's not bad it's interesting and i, I think it, it, it's an incredible. I was looking at the numbers. It's like uh, if I'm just reading off Spotify, it, uh, this song "Joker and the Thief" has 120 million streams. Yeah, but it's because it's a stupid song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, okay, but, it, but I, I have, I have, I know why it has many. It, it's like the perfect song to put in a, a television a television series or a movie. I mean, I've seen it so many times. There's like a heist and the song starts, you know, uh, <laughs> with this... And then they, they sing about the Joker and the Thief in the night. And then what they always do in this series is that they, in these films and TV series is that they, they cut uh, from the start. They play the start riff and then they cut over the edit away the whole middle section and just jump at um, the ending, which is uh, blah blah and the Joker and the Thief and the Night, and then it ends, and then the heist is over. And I've seen it like maybe five times, and and it's like in the public consciousness, it's become this shorthand for uh, like a cool heist scene in the uh, action comedy, mm. uh, most likely. Uh, it's quite interesting and it became like a huge hit they made a their video is like um, they were friends of jackass i mean you can imagine <laughs> they make the the, yeah. the video of this song is just like jackass members hurting themselves to the music and running around uh what i mean jackass was huge at some point you know they was really like they were they were what I mean, I'd rather I'd rather rewatch Jackass than re-listen Wolf Mother. <laughs> for me, Wolf Mother is terrible. It's just it's terrible for me. I mean, when I saw this, the interview with Mike Patton, at first I was mm. offended because we did play, you know, seventies inspired mm. riff rock. I was like, <laughs> why is he asking what they were in? It doesn't matter. You could play anything you want. But then I hear it again, and I'm I'm getting his frustration mm. myself already at that time. And I think uh, it was too much of that stuff. It was too much of that stuff. There's some good bands, but they're just not coming in with anything to the table, like Airborne from Australia. That just they're just sounding like ACDC mm. uh, again. And then we had Wolf Mother, and then the cr crap of the crop uh, was the crap of the crop was definitely uh, Greta Fanfleet. Oh, yeah. that's when yeah, it, that's... that's when it went overboard, and I was like, stop yeah, it, yeah, yeah. just stop it. I saw another band, uh, Rebel Rebel Sons. Rebel oh, Sons. Yeah. Oof, I saw them, yeah. and, and and it was Rival, Rival Sons. Sons. Rival Sons, his name, and it was also the same, like poor poor man's Led mm. Zeppelin with fat modern sound, For and sure. it's just they were good, sure. but I can't take it anymore. Like it's enough already. So and I was don't I do was this. looking at like yeah, okay, maybe there's something to make out of this uh, wolf mother more than just like shitting on them because I knew I had the feeling. I, I was really happy like yeah, okay, I remember this old interview with uh, Mike Patton. <laughs> it doesn't like them. I got inspired to uh, talk about Jim Martin and the riff of Surprise You're Dead instead of um 
Andrew Stockdale and the horrendous Wolf Mother that is like too big, you know, more yeah. bigger than they deserve for sure. Uh, but I think it, it is sad. interesting how you can get also a, a song on a soundtrack somewhere and it just spins, you know, it spins your band into superstardom. Yeah. Yeah, I love soundtracks. I've been a fan of soundtracks as long as I've been a fan of uh, music. I started with that, and and as we'd addressed before, uh, video game music, and and, and then soundtracks. And uh, I mean, uh, I like uh, original soundtracks or scoring, film scoring. I've studied that a bit, but I also like when you just take this uh, uh, already finished song by a band and uh, make it into a kind of a mixtape situation. Like, for example, uh, Quentin Tarantino did. He pulled out a lot of songs and made them huge, mm. right? Uh, yeah, um, but I, I mean, I think just that um, the thing with uh, this song is that it just became shorthand for a cool heist scene, and it's just like so. So I always really like, oh god, I, it takes me out of yeah, any really. anything I'm watching to hear this song. And uh, <laughs> if you want to hear a good heist song, listen to "Better Get It in Your Soul" with Charles Mingus. That's a good. Heist okay. Scene. <laughs> <laughs> Much better than Wolf Mother. <laughs> Anyway, uh, anyway, where where were we? Uh, where were we? Yeah, we were uh, Jim Martin. I mean, he um, he wanted to play uh, thrash metal with uh, together with James Hetfield, you know, and he got to do it a little bit. Uh, he didn't get to do it in in Fate No More, and but I do like how they use the heavy uh, heavy guitars on uh, on Angel Dust, the follow up to the real thing, and on Real Thing as well. I mean, yep. it's uh, just like a perfect mesh between all these influences uh the keyboard being so loud and uh uh the bass being really like in the forefront uh of your listening listening experience the but still like the uh, the guitars sound huge and you know like appropriate in a way yeah, i think it's they these two albums sound great um after that when uh, big jim martin quit they took in trace bruins from uh, mr bungle uh to make um the follow-up uh yeah king for a day fool for a lifetime which is very like way more uh guitar riff laden this way more guitar riff, but they're kind of neutered they're not as interesting i think as this uh, this one i think this is way more out out there and maybe to a little bit what happened before both Mike Patton and and Jim Martin joined Fate No More. They were like they were actually started in 1979, which uh, feels really like a long time ago. And then they had uh, uh, some, for for a short while they had Courtney Love on uh, vocals. Um, no, nothing recorded remains. Uh, but they also they were called different things like they they were called Fate No Man before they were called Fate No More. Uh, then they infamously got the infamous Chuck Mosley on song uh, on on vocals, who kind of uh, spearheaded like the the rap metal uh, thing. I mean, but the the thing is the rap the rap aspect of Fate No More and the the metal aspect of it, it's like mm -hmm. really didn't mesh, but it really clashed on that first uh, uh, album, Introduce Yourself. Like the, it's really like on, it's like like oil on water almost, you know, it's really... Lost in Vegas, uh, the Lost in Vegas boys, they, they listened to a song, uh, the one, uh, people, forever, people today, it yeah. doesn't matter anyway, mm. whatever that We care a lot. Uh, we care yeah. a lot. Was it that yeah. one? No, no it was earlier. It was yeah, earlier it's this song. one. It was released first as a single and then uh, remade for the first album. 
Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. It's a cool title anyway. <laughs> but they they listened to that and they're versed in hip hop and they were like, yeah, this is very outdated because it's really that kind, you know, a dog with sunglasses and a backward turned cap rapping to kids. <laughs> yeah. Listen, kids, people today doesn't matter anyway. You know, it's not. Uh, it's very unadvanced, very white sounding rap, isn't it? Ah, but that's uh, the, now we're talking about Epic, uh, the song with Mike yeah, Patton. Epic, that's the one I'm talking about. And uh, yeah, that's the one. I and meant. yeah, the, it is. But I mean, the whole the whole idea there from Mike Patton was that he wanted to make fun of Anthony Kiedis from uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I've heard this. I've heard this. I mean, they all, they played a whole gig, I think, with Mr. Bungle that was just like uh, Red Hot Chili Pepper songs <laughs> that they just parodied. Yeah, and they they yeah they they dressed as them and everything. It was a parody of that band. Uh, so I think he has this. Uh, Mike Patton has this side that it's not very nice. I mean, it's just I don't know. Did you see the last? Did you see the last season of uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm? Uh, no, uh, the Larry David show. Uh, he he has a problem with Mocha Joe, so he decides to open a spite shop, Larry's Lattes, right next to Mocha Joe's. And kind of, uh, I thought about that now, that maybe uh, Mr. Bunga, no, uh, Faith No More was a spite band. Yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but but then again, they started before Red Hot Chili Peppers, so uh, maybe not. Uh, no, I mean, they think they're, they're kind of far away from uh, Faith No More, although, I mean... Um, I, I I really like from from this album uh, from out of nowhere must be is one of my favorite songs of uh, awesome song the yeah the the fir- the first song of the real thing from out of nowhere uh, with a really yeah. thumping bassline wait let let me pick up the bass one sec. Here I am. Let's see. Let's go. <laughs> so uh, you have to imagine, dear listener, uh, I was graduating from gymnasium, the high school in Stockholm, and uh, me and my friend Yusuf, we were very antisocial <laughs> at the time. We didn't want to ride on the on the truck as you do in Sweden with all the other kids. We wanted to ride <laughs> in our own car, listening to our own music so we <laughs> rode on this small uh, truck with a flatbed truck with that was painted as like a bumblebee and we listened to um uh, <laughs> from out of nowhere <laughs> by fate no more <laughs> really loud so yeah <laughs> Yeah, something like that. Uh, yeah, wasn't he the like prim- principal songwriter? Uh, yeah, Billy? Uh, he was. Or, yeah, am I mistaken? I thought of him like a. Steve Harris type character, you know, he's loud in the mix and he's uh, prominently featured in in the songwriting. Am yes, I right? he's. Uh, I mean, I, I couldn't really achieve the sound here, but I mean, it, it's 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 really loud. I mean, the, the bass is louder than uh, uh, Iron Maiden. It's really like uh, with a lot of treble, uh, very in the front. Uh, it, it later it it goes back a little bit, but and the guitars come up. But I, I kind of like this song. It's uh, it, this sound. It's so. Um, abrasive you know it's like really like uh, your ears bleed a little bit but it's it really yeah. it works well 
And he wrote it. He wrote it, right? At least the music. Um, yeah, a lot of the music. But uh, I think Roddy Bottom on the on the keys wrote a lot as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, he, his parts for sure. And uh, Mike Patton did all the vocals and uh, uh, vocal arrangements, which grew, you know, crazier by the album for sure. Yeah, to his credit, uh, Mike Patton's credit, when he's asking like, "What year are we in with Wolfmother and everything?" I would say that. What instantly attracted me to Faith No More from the first time I heard them was that they are actually bending a lot of the stylistic rules, especially for the time. Like keyboards were going out of style mm. and they're just raising the volume of the keyboards, putting even more lush mm. keyboards and talking about From Out of Nowhere, well, probably my favorite song by them, I'm not yeah. sure. But that chorus has this Disney princess vibe, right? One minute here and one minute there. And then it's not inside. <laughs> I cannot sing it, but you know it sticks out, right? It's just, it's, I think it's not fearful people uh, like presenting this. It's, it's ballsy. Yeah, and I think if I recall, I, I once read this book about uh, you know behind the scenes, uh, <laughs> the real, the I don't know, the real story. Maybe it was called uh, about Fate No More, and that uh, they asked. Uh, yeah, it, it's kind of. I, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like that Mike Patton is like the ultimate asshole but he also is right as you said sometimes he's right and um but they they had met uh in the middle of the 80s in uh, uh when uh, Mr. Bungo had played a lot of gigs in this pizza pizza, pizza parlor in Eureka California when where they came from and then an early iteration of Fate No More was going to play there and they really did a bad gig and they were so angry afterwards and uh uh, they stood and talked with Mike Patton and uh, yeah, Mr. Bungle afterwards, and uh, the then bass, uh, the then um, one of the, the the old guitar player was like, "Ah, where can we can we even, can we even get any weed here?" They were all like really angry, and uh, uh, that was the first meeting of them. But later, when Fate No More had made their first album, and when they uh, fired Chuck Mosley. Uh, well, they fired him because when they were in Europe, he got uh, crazy and started beating uh, Billy Gould on stage, you know, trying to land a punch. And then when they were uh, rehearsing, he only wanted to play acoustic uh, love songs. It's like just fighting, infighting. And um, yeah. so they, then they had heard Miss, Mr. Bungle and they asked uh, Mike Patton if he wanted to join. And he, they, they wanted to get rid of the sound of... Uh, uh, Chuck, which uh, you know, they thought his singing was a bit silly, so they wondered, can we get some more <laughs> classic <laughs> rock vocals? And then Mike Patton's answer is to sing like a Disney princess <laughs> on the album. <laughs> it's really, you know, so cool. go the other way. Uh, so, I think when you do that, you really get the the, the, the mandate to this a band like mm. Wolfmother. He may come off as just being a dick, but not really, no. actually. I can. I think he really stands for another example in terms of creativity and mm. presentation and design. I think uh, I also... I, I just have to give it to him, really, because he is, seems like an asshole. I had my face when I kind of doubted him or even thought he may be a bit of a psycho because there was this guy trying to fix his monitor on the way front of the stage, uh, you know, this mm. roadie, and he gets annoyed that he is there. So he just walks up behind him and slaps him hard on the face. Ooh, yeah. That's like, uh, you know, a little bit over the top. Right? I think so. Um, uh, well, I've, I thought, um, just, just to finish the story, uh, th- this, uh, this really uh, went everywhere, but um, 
because there is a lot to say, but uh, at the same time, I wanted to kind of keep it around this riff and Jim Martin and this kind of uh, this idea. I mean, he had this idea; he would become, you know, uh, like a major figure. He has it about him. He's he's really trying hard with his look. Uh, dear listener, you've already seen the image of him in the <laughs> in the in the mashup picture. Uh, he looks a bit insane. But it never went anywhere. I mean, it kind of he kind of disappeared after leaving Faith No More. He didn't really do anything, you know. He's on the Tuesday's Gone med, uh, cover by Metallica on Garage Inc. He's one of the guitars in that one. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, nothing nothing really happened. But now he he lives with uh, his wife and two kids in Cali- sunny California and he's actually a championship pumpkin grower that's what he's doing nowadays <laughs> there <laughs> we are, go kind of fit yeah I think it makes sense you know that's a good end uh, I would say yeah really have you seen these guys live at all no but uh, I wanted to ask you because you were lucky enough to see them on their uh, reunion tour there in 2010 something like this Something like in that. Australia, yeah, actually in Australia. Funnily enough, yeah, we've been in Australia before. <laughs> so uh, I mean, I spent some time there, and uh, I went with uh, our dear friend Martin Schönes, mm. I've been mentioned before. Uh, we were there. We were kind of freshly dumped, I think, like young twenties. So we had like this rowdy uh, lifestyle of just being punks in in Melbourne for a bit there. <laughs> Strangely enough, it's really far away from home. <laughs> Maybe not where you should be, but uh, yeah, we we went to a one day festival which is what they do there over the summers. They always do one-day festivals. And the Faith No More were playing only hits. Yeah, Like, I wasn't really that uh, versed, or, uh, like, uh, I didn't really know much about Faith No More, but I recognized every single song. Nice. Because there was just a perfect set list of not trying to be difficult. And they had, like, huge backdrops with uh, Chatrelay on, like this uh, <laughs> random chat partner via video. Chatrelay. And they just had it uh, screened on the huge, uh, you know, main stage festival <laughs> screens, and it was a lot of uh, di- dicks being wanked, <laughs> predominantly. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of dicks being wanked and very fun and before the encore they actually uh, switched the audio on so you could imagine like uh, a random Chatrelet um, uh, guy and then on the other side is Mike Patton talking into his singing mic with this guy <laughs> and he's, he gets some kind of video feed when he sees the ten, tens of thousands of people <laughs> like you're talking to these guys <laughs> over the PA um, <laughs> he was incredibly good right I've never seen anything like that and, and he was just that guy was not wanking he was uh, sitting there with his kid and being friendly. Why would you bring your kid on that, though? Uh, uh, yeah, it does, huh? Anyway, great show, anyway. Great <laughs> Fantastic. idea. Typical, maybe Mike Patton idea. I would, I would yeah, venture, definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean... It, Amazing I, show, anyway. So good. And they had this ridiculously ugly uh, Valmo red, opium red... Uh, uh, suits on uh, too big also so they didn't really fit too well you know <laughs> a little bit too big and too wide shoulders yeah, so, yeah it looked nice it looked as as it sounds nice. um yeah I, I saw this uh one of these gigs i think from the download festival afterwards uh online on youtube uh yeah. one of the first videos i think that was released with in in 1080p i mean in higher resolutions and widescreen hmm. i mean when when youtube stepped up and really became like this yeah. be- the best site of the internet like like a professional level content, exactly like, exactly uh, exactly you know, and the thing is amazing have you thought about this that you still can watch uh anything 
on YouTube that is not taken down. You know, like if you're trying to make money off it, yeah, it's taken down. But if you don't, then it can stay for years. You know, this incredible uh, right. Captain Beyond yeah. live footage. You know, like it's on there. It's crazy. Yeah. And we talked about before, right? Uh, earlier in the maybe in last week, I don't remember if it was last week or this week. We talked about youth culture. We talked about going into the city to buy a CD yeah. and all of that. You know, the nostalgia and the memories of before. And now we're in this age where you can just get all this incredible material, as you said, like Captain Beyond live gigs, uh, everything from California Jam '74 with Sabbath <laughs> Purple. And you know, it's just unending, really. And uh, I like it. I like yeah. it. Nice. Uh, I wish I would have been with you on that gig. It sounds unforgettable. Really good. One of the best gigs I've seen. I, I know that they, they tried to, they asked Jim Martin if he wanted to join because it was a reunion. But <laughs> then they, uh, he was like, yeah, maybe. It's like, what, what songs are you going to play? Yeah, we're going to play the whole of uh, Angel Dust. And he was like, yeah, that's the album I, I think is gay disco. I don't want to play it. Bye bye. <laughs> so, oh, well, his loss, I would say, his loss. Yeah, that was. Maybe that was a final, you know, insult from them to him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they seem like yeah, these kind of guys so. that have a long, long winded, you know, hazing. Maybe. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So I guess that, that kind of concludes this uh, week quite nicely, right? We've, we've been now traveling through time and through different uh, variations of youth culture and different variations of consuming music and. Uh, it became this a little bit of a timepiece today, I would say. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's really uh, interesting. Beatles and Fate the More. Uh, it should be added, maybe, I don't know if it's necessary, but I mean, his uh, his vocal range, Mike Patton's vocal range is just insane. I think it was something like six octaves he can uh, It's he incredible, can it's incredible. I listened a lot to, uh, listened a lot at least, to um, uh, one EP by the Dillinger mm. Escape band that I... I'm not really a fan of in in other albums. Not too much. I mean, I respect them and everything, but that that particular EP is is amazing. It's right? so good. It has and the it really displays Mike Patton as a powerhouse, powerhouse. Front, yeah, it, it has it's the Apex flowing. Twin uh, cover, right? Come to Daddy. Come to Daddy. Yeah, but that, Come that's to my, Daddy. My least favorite song. <laughs> my least favorite song on it. It's a good cover, but uh, I mean, when good dogs do bad mm. things, I think it's one of the greatest songs in that wild genre ever. You know, it has this kind of uh, moody uh, breakdown in the middle when this palm music guitar comes in, like, dun, 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 and Mike, Mike goes with his kind of beat poetry slam, you know. I remember seeing them live on Hoods Festival and then their guitars are like up at their necks and they're like. <laughs> something like that. That's uh, all I remember. Yeah, I mean, they do a lot of. Uh they do a lot of uh, big octave shifts and always with the uh, minor, uh, with the uh, tritonus as well. So they do. The riffs are always like, you know. Uh, yeah. Like that. Uh, absolutely. Really push, trying hard to be insane, which is why I'm maybe not such uh, a okay. fan. But uh, what they did with Mike Patton mm. was great. And then they further got uh, kind of inspired by that. They, they never really went to the same level as Faith No More or anything like that. But they made some popular songs uh, very clearly influenced by their time with, with Mike Patton. Yeah. Um, for more Mike Patton, I would recommend also uh, looking into Phantomas. Uh, we mentioned them before, but then I, uh, I, didn't, uh, I didn't remember the title of that album. Uh, the Director's Cut, a fantastic album where they, when the Buzz Osborne, Trevor Dunn, 
uh, from Mr. Bungle and uh, uh, Dave Lombardo from Slayer and Mike Patton. They make covers of famous uh, movie soundtracks. It's great. The Godfather. It's uh, must must listen. Mm, cool. I have to listen. I actually spent uh, zero minutes with uh, Phantomas. I haven't listened to them yeah. at all. So you would say it's a it's a hard recommend or a, light a recommend? hard recommend. Uh, the other one, the other album, first one is interesting. Uh, he sings. Uh, he goes really into this notion of not caring what he's singing. He he's taking a he's taking inspiration from Buzz Osborne also making up words. So everything is made up that he's singing. So skip that one, I would say, and go directly for the director's cut. It's he's also there. It's very a lot of vocalizing, but it's better. Uh, better employed, I think. It's really good. Hey, listen, uh, dear listener and uh, Ulle, I've got some work to do here. I mean, I gotta go listen to the Beach Boys. I gotta go listen to Phantomas. It's it's come up now, so I'm I'm gonna have to um, you know I'm gonna have to leave you guys for for a while, um, for a week or so, and I'll be back together with Ulle next yeah. time. So I'm just gonna run off and listen to Phantomas and uh, Beach Boys and Ulle. Could you play us out or talk? Us yeah, out? I'll just stay here uh, for a week then and play guitar. <laughs> Right. All right. See ya.